We now come to the preaching portion of our worship service, and we're going to return to our series on the one another's. And uh, this morning, uh, our series takes us to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. So, please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 26. The Apostle Paul writes this, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weak are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to you for your word. We pray for your grace this morning that you would help us to consider what your word has to say to us. That we would, even if the truths that we are unpacking this morning are difficult to hear, that we would be willing, Lord, to humble ourselves, to consider how we might grow in our care for one another. And if necessary, to repent of any sin or, or, or sinful attitudes that we might have to, towards others. We pray, Father, that we would be doers of your word, that we would not just listen to this sermon, file it away in our memory and, and uh, not do anything with it, but we pray that, Lord, you would help us to think about how we might apply this to our lives. Thank you for your word. We pray that you give us much grace this morning uh, and that you would be honored through the preaching of your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, recently I was walking through my neighborhood and I observed a poster that's, that uh, is entitled, We Believe. And, and the, this poster was not some throwback poster to uh, when the warriors were doing well and they were the We Believe warriors. No, rather it, it was a poster that was, uh, that was explaining what the world around us, what the society around us believes about life. It functions as a sort of a secular doctrinal statement. Except this poster isn't just telling you what they believe. It's meant to persuade those who read it that it is reasonable and socially acceptable for everyone in the neighborhood to hold to these same values if they agree with these words. Now, at the very end of the poster, the last belief is identified either as kindness is everything or be kind to all. It depends on which poster you see. Now, as we begin our countdown towards Christmas together, 
Christians ought to pause and consider what makes us different from the world that we live in. Because if the world teaches that we ought to be kind towards one another, that we should always be kind, uh, and that we should try and love people in and out of the Christmas season, how does that make us any different from them? Does our love and care stand out from the love that unbelievers show for one another? Or is our love for one another lacking in comparison? And we know that we ought to care for one another as Christians, but frankly, it can be hard to care for others. We get busy, and we might not know how to express care to others at times. There are a lot of different reasons why caring for others can be difficult. But even if caring for others is difficult, God desires His people to care for one another. And so this morning, the Apostle Paul will help us examine two motivations for Christians to care for one another. Two motivations for Christians to care for one another. Now, Christians ought to be motivated to care for one another because, one, God gives all Christians purpose, and two, God gives Christians one another. So, let's look at that first point. God gives all Christians purpose. Now, earlier in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is turning his attention to the Corinthians' questions that they have submitted to him. And in particular, um, what the, the, the questions that the Corinthians had asked Paul about was uh, regarding spiritual gifts. And so he explains to them that the Holy Spirit is the source of the spiritual gifts that the body of Christ has. And uh, he explains that relationship that Christians have with one another with that now familiar analogy of the human body. And so he sums up in verse 14, writing, For the body is not what one member, but many. Now, Christians are often described as a part of the body of Christ because we understand that salvation unifies everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and they turn away from their former lifestyle of sin. And so since we are all a part of Christ, we are all individual parts of a whole. And as a result, every Christian has a part to play in our mission to glorify Christ here on this earth. Now, just because certain Christians have different spiritual gifts compared to the ones that uh, are commonly seen in the public eye of the church, it doesn't mean that these gifts are any less important in the function of the body. A whole and healthy church consists of people who have a variety of gifts, a variety of different functions and purpose within the body. In verse 15, Paul uses an absurd illustration to catch our attention and drive his point home. If one of our feet could think and act independently of the rest of the body, it would be ridiculous for our foot to think that it's not a part of the body because it's not a hand. It wants to be a hand, but alas, it's a foot. And Paul, he's emphasizing that it's a part of the body regardless of how it feels. And he, he, says, uh, he says that clearly when he says that uh, just because... Uh, or for this reason, and it is not uh, any less a part of the body. Right? Obviously, our feet have their role in our bodies. While some of us may wish that our feet functioned more like our hands, this is not the primary function of our feet, even though some of us are really, really good at using our feet to pick up stuff off the floor like our laundry and, and throw it in the hamper. 
Now, uh, just because a foot would rather be, be as versatile and as useful as a hand does not mean that the foot is not a part of the body. Right? It has a function. It has a purpose that is separate from the hand. Now, Paul continues the illustration in verse 16, this time using the same illustration with an ear. So if one of our ears decided that it is not a part of the body because it's not an eye, it doesn't mean that the ear is not a part of the body. Right, the ears, they have a pretty important function as well. Right? They allow for us to listen, to, to hear things. But also, we know that our ears are really important for us in terms of our balance. Right? So our ears have a, uh, have a, our ears have a key role in how our body functions just as much as our eyes do. So just because our, just because our ear might hypothetically want to be an eye doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's useless just because it can't see. Right? They have their purpose. And so, to answer this hypothetical ear's objection, Paul writes in verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? You see, the body can't be composed of a singular body part. If our entire body was only an eye or only an ear, then our body would not be a human body. It would be either a gigantic eye or a gigantic ear. And so in a similar way, the church cannot be filled primarily with people with a certain giftedness. For instance, we can't have a church that only consists of preachers and teachers. Nor can we have a church that consists only of those who encourage. And even, you know, a, a more nightmare situation would be a church filled only with administrators. Right? If we were all administrators and none of us had any other giftedness or skill set or, or whatnot, right? we, would, we would actually get nothing done because we would all be, be fighting each other trying to get things done. And when I say this, <clears throat> I'm not trying to diminish the importance of any of these spiritual gifts or, or these skill sets that God has blessed the church with because God truly has given these things to us as gifts so that we could function. But what I would rather do is remind us of the fact that God gives the church a beautiful diversity of spiritual gifts, skill sets, and personalities so that the whole body can function as a body ought to, and not some single function machine or organism. If you want to think about it this way, the church is not a unitasker. It's a multitasker. We do multiple things. We have multiple functions, multiple relationships within each other. It's for this reason, Paul writes in verses 18 to 20, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. So notice, as we go back to verse 18 itself, what Paul draws our attention to back in verse, uh, uh, yeah, back in verse 18. Who is the one who brings us into the body of Christ? God is the one. God is the one who brings us into the body of Christ. He specifically places each one of us into the church body to fulfill a function. And that's pretty cool. He doesn't just say, well, you kind of fit a certain personality type, so I think I'm just going to group you with these people over here, and then I'm going to have you do these things within the church. And that's not what he does. For each individual, he places us specifically in the church. You have a function. You have a purpose. 
in this body. And so even if you don't feel like it, even if you might think, oh, well, I don't really have anything to offer, that's not true. Because God himself has placed you in the body, specifically in the body, so that you can fulfill a function. It might not be as flashy as some of the other, other functions. It might not be as upfront as some of the other functions. But that's okay. We all have a function in the body. We all have a part to play. And we all have purpose. And so, um, and, and this purpose could be both uh, to represent Christ as an individual, but also as a part of the whole as a part of the entire church as well, right? Because so, when, we, when we go into the community, when we go into the world around us, yes, we are Christians, right? In, on an individual sense, we are Christians. And people who know that we're Christians will know that we are individually a Christian. But they also understand that we're one of many, right? We're a part of a church and, or part of a local church. And, and while they might not uh, recognize uh, the universal church, we're also a part of the universal church. Right? And we all have a function to play when it comes to glorifying Christ in this world. We're all ambassadors of Christ. And so, for application, the questions that we must ask ourselves is this, are this. If God has placed us in this local assembly of believers for this particular time in our lives, what is the function that God has given me in this church? And how can I fulfill my purpose in this church? And what is the function that God has given me in this church? And how can I fulfill my function here in this church, my purpose in this church? Because if our desires as Christians is to please God and to do His will in this life, not only to proclaim the gospels to others, but to, to work together with our church family, with our church body, to please Him and, and advance the kingdom in gospel proclamation, then how can we best use our time, our resources, uh, and our skill set to serve our King? How can we do that? You know, a few weeks ago, during our virtual Thanksgiving celebration, one of our godly couples who have faithfully been attending and serving this church for a long time shared something that was particularly encouraging to my soul. Now, I'm not going to mention them by name because I didn't ask them for their permission to, to share their name and I don't want to embarrass them. But essentially what they said is, is this. They recognize that God has only given them a, only a, a small amount of time left on this earth. And with that small amount of time that they have left, they want to serve the Lord in any way that they can. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that a blessing? It's an example to all of us that all of our lives are the Lord's. All of our lives are, are the Lord's to use for His good pleasure, for His purposes. We all have a purpose in the body. God doesn't just put us in the body to fulfill a certain function for a few years, and then after that we get to retire, kick back, and let someone else come and serve. That's not what he does. We all have particular functions in the body for particular seasons in our lives. And when new seasons come in, we adapt. And we find other ways that we can serve the Lord. You see, we never stop serving, just like we never stop learning. And we never stop growing. For a Christian, there is no such thing as retirement from ministry. Okay, there is no such thing as retirement from ministry. 
there's only reassignment. As new seasons of life come in, or as we are um, unable to perform certain tasks as we, as we used to, we adapt and we change the way that we do ministry. We change the way that we, we function in the church and how we care for others in the church. So we don't stop, we just adjust. Right? We are reassigned. And so if God has placed all of us into the body for a particular purpose, for a particular time. You and I actually have no excuse for not caring for one another. Right? We have no excuse not to serve our church, our church body, our church family. Right? God places us, God himself places us into the body for a reason. We all have God-given spiritual gifts, skill sets. We all have uh, time on our hands. We all have energy. We all have resources. Some of it's more li- limited than others, but we all have these things. They're all at our disposable, at our, at our disposal, excuse me, as all God gives these all to us at our disposal to love Him and to love others. And so Paul, he reminds us that we're to be others-focused, Right, we're, that we as Christians are to be others focused. He reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians 5.15 when he writes this. He, that is Jesus, died for all so that they who live, that is every Christian, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We live to serve our Lord. We live at the pleasure of our Master. And so as a result, we ought to strive to please our Lord in obedience uh, by, uh, by observing Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, holding fast to our faith. You don't give up on it. You hold fast to it. And considering how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together and encouraging one another all the more as the day of the Lord draws near. Yeah. We're in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. We're in purple tear. And yes, we are not allowed to all gather together in this, in, in this church building uh, whenever we want to, like we used to. But consider this. The coronavirus does not suspend God's commands or His purposes. Right? The coronavirus does not suspend God's commands nor His purposes. The church is not a building. You know this, right? We know this. This church is not a building. It's the assembly of believers gathered together to spur each other on to love God and to love others and to do God's will on this earth. And so, though we might not be able to gather together physically unless we go outside, let's take advantage of the means of grace God has given us and be a blessing to others. We can do this by calling them, FaceTiming them, visiting them, answering a need of the church or a need of the, of the fellowship that you're in or, or whatever you think of or become aware of. You can, you can still spend time for yourself, right? You can still watch TV, watch YouTube, or uh, you know, per- pursue your hobbies. You can do all those things. Right? And it's not wrong for you to do those things. God has given you passion for these things for a reason. But at the same time, right, at the same time, let's make sure that our lives are, are oriented towards serving our Lord. Right? And, and also are oriented towards serving one another, being a part of the body. Right, let's consider in what ways God might have us use these things that He's 
He's given us to steward to serve Him, to serve others. Because we know that the days are short. We don't want to be like that couple that uh, John Piper uh, famously um, says, Look, Lord, at the end of my life, look at my seashells. These are the things that I have to account for the rest of my life. We don't want to be like that. We want to, to be faithful, to serve the Lord with all the time that we have left. And it doesn't mean that you can't have fun, okay? Just hear me on that. You, you can still have fun. But remember that we're here as, as soldiers who are here to serve our Lord, to serve our commander. Okay? We, we want to please our Lord in all respects. As Paul reminds us in verses 19 and 20, we're not one member. We're not one member. We're a part of a body, right? So, uh, there are many members that are part of one body. We all have a function to fulfill. And so um, this reminds us that we have an obligation towards one another and, and that we, we must fulfill that obligation to one another. But not only that, right? it should also motivate us to care for one another uh, because we value one another. Right? If we all have an obligation to one another, if we ought to care for one another because we all have different functions, we should also be motivated to value one another as well. That leads us to our second motivation for Christians to care for one another, which is that God gives Christians one another. God gives Christians one another. In verses 14 to 20, Paul helped us understand God's design for the body. Right? Uh, for, uh, helped us understand every Christian's role in the body of Christ. Uh, here, in verses 21 to 26, Paul he shifts our focus to help us understand God, that, that God designed the church not only to be diverse in terms of our function, but he designed for us to be dependent upon one another as well. Let's read verses 21 and 22. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So Paul, again, he's using the imagery of body parts speaking to one another to illustrate a point. And so the first, the first uh, illustration is the eye saying to the hand, I have no need of you. And, you know, when we think about it, our eyes seemingly operate or act independently from our hands. But when you really think about it, that's not really the case. Right? For example, in sports, uh, our or, or even in doing handiwork, our eyes give us the visual information that we need for our hands to respond. Um, hand-eye coordination is extremely important. Right? When you're driving, right, your eyes are telling you how to steer right? or, or, or um, uh, how, how to proceed. And your hands will tell you, uh, well, your, your feet are involved too, right? But your hands will tell you whether you should be in drive, whether you should be in reverse, whether you should be turning left, whether you should be turning right. Or, you know, for instance, if you want to look at a sports analogy, uh, if we were playing softball, right, and there's a softball coming at us, our, our eyes are telling us where to throw our hands, where to throw the bat, where to move our hands to so that we can get a hit. So our hands, they move based off of the information that we get from our eyes. So the eyes cannot say that they absolutely don't need our hands. And in a similar way, our, our head cannot tell our feet that, hey, I don't need you. They can't, because we're, we're a collective whole. So if the church is to be healthy, not only do the individual body parts need to do their job, they, they need to rely on one another as well. 
They need to rely on one another as well so that the whole body can do all of its work. And it's for this reason that Paul signals our dependence upon one another with the words, on the contrary. He's He's rebutting that idea that we might not have any need of other members. And, you know, many of us, we tend to be pretty independent in general, right? Because we live in a, a society that's pretty individualistic. You, you basically do it yourself for a lot of things, right? And as a result, we can, at times, develop an attitude that does not think that we need others in order to survive or to get things done in life. Now, I know that this pandemic has certainly challenged that notion, uh, or at least made some of you more aware of your need for others, uh, in the body, but, but there can be times, though, there can be times where either our spiritual gifts or the skill set that we bring to the church due to our vocation uh, can cause us to believe that we are indispensable or that we are more important than other people in the church because our skill set, our giftedness, our interests are more important in the church accomplishing its purposes here in the community. Paul tells us that we actually have to be mindful of such sinful and, and prideful thinking because God designed for us all to depend on one another. We are interconnected. Instead of it being true that the more prominent members are the most important in the church, Paul is actually telling us that there is uh, that that it is much more true, right? It is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Uh, in in other words, uh, those body parts which may seem to be weak may in fact be some of the most essential parts of our bodies. Now, commentators on this uh, passage describe the weaker members as the more delicate members of the body, such as the internal organs. Right? And, and they are delicate, right? That's why we have them inside, protected by our bones and, and our muscles. Right? And, and because of that, they are weaker in a sense. They don't really receive much glory because they're inside and they're working in the background. But without properly working organs, you and I would have a lot, uh, a lot more difficult time living out our lives. And so Paul continues the illustration in verse 23. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow much more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. So, the members of the body which we deem less honorable and less presentable are the parts of the body that we would naturally want to keep a little more private. And Paul's not trying to be unnecessarily graphic here. Rather, what he wants us to recognize is that on a day-to-day basis, we do what we can to make sure that we're properly clothed. We cover up what we deem to be important. When you're cold, you usually feel the cold up here. So you don't just put on mittens and socks and then you're fine, right? You put on uh, maybe some uh, some um, some long sleeves, and if you're if you're cold after that, maybe you'll put on another t-shirt, and uh, maybe you'll put on a vest to keep your core warm. And if you're still cold after that, maybe you'll put on another jacket and another jacket and another jacket. Right? Who, you know, no end to the jackets. Right? But why? Because we deem this part of our body as more uh, more honorable, as more important. So we give it more. Uh, so we, we give it more honor by putting more clothes on, by making it more presentable uh, and um, giving it more dignity. In verse 24, 
Paul, he tells us that unlike our less presentable members, our more presentable members have no need to be shown more honor. Uh, They have no need to be made more presentable. For example, in general, um, uh, under normal circumstances, we probably wouldn't wear gloves. Our hands are are fine, and so we would just walk around, and we would just uh, leave our hands hands exposed, and we'll just do everything that we need to do. Um, Or, in in a non-pandemic time, our face, our face is more presentable, and so we we would likely not cover our face. You know, now because of the pandemic, if you're walking around with an uncovered face and your mask is not in sight, people are calling you a a public health hazard, uh, most likely, right? Uh, But uh, in general, under non-pandemic circumstances, we would uh, we would uh, not wear a mask because our face is already naturally honorable and presentable. Right? They have no need for uh, more attention or more covering. But look at what the second half of verse 24 and 25 reveal. It says this, But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So just like we saw in verse 18, God is responsible for the composition of the body. He puts every one of us in the the places that he puts us with the giftedness and with the skill set that we have for a reason in the body. He does that himself. But he also creates us to be dependent. He also creates us to be dependent. This is a part of his plan for us to be dependent upon one another. Now, our scientific understanding of the body tells us that our health uh, depends on every member of the body doing what they ought to be doing. God has ordained every single member of our body to have a certain function and role. And if we're healthy, then the majority of these parts will be working uh, properly. They'll be doing their function. And so, as we look at, uh, as, as we take this analogy and we bring it to the church, right, when we see that the church, the body of Christ, has been designed just like the human body, and it works just like the human body, we're reminded of the fact that we need each other. We need each other. And, and there is really no excuse for us to look down upon other members of the church, uh, or to believe ourselves to be superior or independent of the other members of the body. We need each other. God composes the body of Christ with people who have different gifts, who have different skill sets, who have different temperaments, different personalities, all for our overall benefit. Some people are the ones who grow us in grace and patience. Some people are the ones who challenge us and encourage us to excel still more. He's created us to need one another. He created us this way so that What does it say in verse 25? So that there may be no division in the body. Are we going to clash heads sometimes? Absolutely. But our diversity should not cause us to clash. Our diversity should cause us to care for one another in where we lack. To build one another up. God has given us these different members, some of them weaker, some of them stronger, some of them more prominent, some of them uh, more hidden and more in the background, so that there can be, so that there will be no division, but that all of the members of the body may have the same care for one another. Right? Not one person caring for others more than other people, but that we all 
aspire to have the same level of care and love for one another, same level of care and consideration for one another. God intends for us to be a unified whole so that we can all have the same love and concern for one another. Now, you might say to me, but Pastor Roger, it's all well and good, but I don't hate anybody in this church. I don't have this attitude where I think I'm superior to others or I look down upon others. Uh, And if that's true, well, praise God. That's great. However, we have to take a hard look in the mirror too. right? And consider where and how we can continue to grow in our love and care for one another in our lives. Because we're we're not going to get it completely. We're not going to master it in this life. You know, we often think we often acknowledge that in terms of our sin. Right? I'm not going to be perfect, uh, but when it comes to when it comes to growing in godliness, sometimes we forget too that we don't master being caring. We don't master being hospitable. We don't master being uh, loving as we ought to. Right? We're not perfect in these Christ-like qualities, and so don't just sit back and say, "Well, I don't do any of those things." PR, so it's cool. Now, let's take, a, let's take a hard look. How can we grow? How can we be better? How can we, as Paul says, excel still more in these things? It's all part of our, our journey to become more like Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, do you determine to show care to your fellow Christians? Do we, do we show care for the other members of the body? Or is that reserved for other people to do? who have more time, more energy, and more giftedness. You know, throughout this time in the pandemic, have you made it your aim to be with the church body and, and to cherish your time with them? Whether it's been in-person, outdoors, socially distant, or even when it's been online too. And I understand and I understand that virtual church is not the same. It's not a one-to-one comparison for the gathering together of the local body. Right? We, we wouldn't even have to specify those words uh, before. Because the Bible makes it clear that the church is the gathering together of the local assembly. But now, because of the, the health crisis, uh, we have to be distant for a while. And that's okay. And that's okay. But do you still value your church family? Are you trying to be with them? I know it's not the same, but are you trying to be with them? Are you trying to care for them? You know, if you've been frustrated by our inability to be in person, have you taken the initiative? Have you taken the responsibility Have you been proactive in trying to still fulfill some of the functions of church? We're supposed to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. We're supposed to encourage one another in our faith, challenge each other when we see see each other in sin, uh, encourage one another to pursue more of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you allowed yourself to be spoken to in that way as well? We all need the body. We can't neglect the body. We can't reject the rest of the body. And just because we're online, or, or, yeah, just because sometimes our Sunday service is online doesn't mean that we can't take the time to try and pursue one another outside of church. Because if you think about it, even if things were normal, 
did we try to pursue believers outside of church? Did we try and continue to live church life with them when it was inconvenient for us? It's easy to care for one another when it's convenient for us. Are we willing to care for one another when it's inconvenient for us? Now I know that those words that I just said are some pointed words, and for some of you, you might feel you might feel like I've probably driven daggers uh, into you. But I don't ask these questions to hurt you or to shame you. I ask you these questions because this uh, extended period of trial, or actually extended period of trials in general, cause us often cause us not to cry out to God like we should, not to reach out to others like we should. Rather, they cause us to turn inward, to rely on self, to isolate ourselves from others. Difficult times tend to make us more selfish rather than more caring. And so sometimes we need to ask ourselves the hard questions or hear the hard questions to expose potentially sin and sinful attitudes that have grown in our hearts and we've become numb to. And so, have you grown cold during this time? Have you become more focused on you and your salvation rather than focusing on how that salvation actually calls you to have a pursuant love of God? and a greater love for others as a result. And if you have grown cold, if you have become stagnant in your love for God, don't be discouraged. Be comforted. Be encouraged. Because our God's mercies are new every morning. His steadfast love, it doesn't stop. His grace, you can't out-sin it. It's never failing. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all of our sin. What a wonderful Savior we have. So, if you have neglected the love of others, don't be discouraged. Repent of your sin. Return to the Lord. And let's strive together to pursue others. By His grace, we can grow more in our love for one another so that we will see each other as essential parts of the body. So that what we see here in verse 26 is true of us. That if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When we have the same care for one another, when we value each other and we, we try and fulfill our functions with one another, right, we will certainly have this oneness about us. Right? It's, not, it's not a unity that's manufactured by us saying, yay, we're Christians, or I fly under the, uh, under the flag of, of, of Christ, or I fly under the f- flag of San Francisco Bible Church. It's not that kind of unity. It's the kind of unity that that has developed because we understand that we are one, that we are interconnected, that we rely on one another, that we serve one another, and, and um, that, yeah, because of Christ, there is no distinction, that, that, we, that we are all a part of each other, that we're all important, that there's no one more important uh, than the other. And, and as a result, we genuinely love and care for, for each other. Right? When someone's hurting, we grieve with them. Or even if we don't know what to say, even if we're unsure of how to proceed, we grieve, we pray for them, we mourn with them, or we have sympathy towards them. 
we, um, you know, we, we see how we can genuinely meet actual needs. Um, or, you know, if one of us is honored, uh, even if that means that uh, some of the rest of us are not honored, we rejoice with them. Why? Not because you put on a fake smile like, huh, oh, I'm happy for you, right? But because you actually are happy for them. Because they are, they, they are your brother. They are your sister. Right? We rejoice with them because we love them. We want what's best for them. Even if that means that we don't get what we want. Now, while it is certainly true that um, in terms of caring for one another, we all have a limited number of hours in our lives and, and that the majority of us um, will use those hours dedicated to our work and to the care of our family, but let's all remember that we have a commitment to others as well. We have a commitment to others in the church as well. Right? And so, you know, I'm not saying that every single one of you has to use all of your extra time to pursue every single person in the church, but you should be willing to care for people in the church. That you're not just so inward focused that you kind of neglect church, except for when it's convenient for you, like on Friday or on a Sunday, right? but that we're, we're wanting to pursue other people in, in the church. Now, God, he might bring people to mind uh, to us, and um, you know, we haven't seen them in a while. Uh, we don't know how they're doing. Don't just kind of let that that uh, that thought pass, but go ahead, reach out to them, email them, call them, text them, whatever it might be, or reach out to them personally. Just check in on them. I'm sure they'll appreciate it. And even if they don't, then you can be praying. Don't respond, or if they don't appreciate it, pray for them, right? Love on them. Um, you know, if you uh, if you want to to get to know more people in the church, take advantage of the different opportunities that we have. Uh, one of our, uh, you know, our outreach, our, I mean, um, our events team has, has been really good at about having us uh, meet up with other people and meet different people in the church. Take advantage of that. Uh, if you don't know how to speak to someone who's older than you, uh, or perhaps uh, you don't know how to speak to people who are younger than you anymore, don't just say that you can't, you, you can't relate with them anymore. Try to relate with them, right? Try to get to know them. Get on eye level with them and, and understand who they are. What, what matters to them? What drives them? Uh, uh, care for them in that way. Right? And if it's awkward, it's okay. It's totally fine. Embrace that awkwardness. Right? And if you hate awkward situations and you don't like awkward people, it's okay. Be gracious. Because right? we're awkward sometimes too. So let's embrace the awkward. Let's love on one another. And let's give people the benefit of the doubt and let's see how we can actually care for one another because this is what God wants for us to do after all. We may be diverse in terms of giftedness, background, whatnot, but we are one in Christ. We are one body. Christmas is right around the corner. And it's the season of giving and the season of caring. And while our non-Christian friends, relatives, and neighbors will do acts of kindness and care towards others because it's just that time of year, um, we as Christians have a better uh, motivation to care for one another, not just during this time of year, but at all times of the year. God himself. God himself designed his church. He designed us as, his, uh, uh, as, as the body of Christ to be a picture of Jesus Christ to the world. And so when others see the church and, and the people of the church caring for one another and caring for others, you know, they might walk away with the impression that we only do so because we're nice people or we're good people. 
That's okay. Right? You can't control their perception. But hopefully, the depth of our care for others, the, the uh, consistency of our, our care for others will stand out to them so that they'll ask us, why do you do that? Or why do you care for these people that you don't know? Why do you care for your church family so much? And hopefully we'll be able to, to because of our love and care for, for others, uh, be able to, to tell them about how the love of Christ compels us to show that love for others. This morning we observed two motivations for us to care for one another. That first motivation was that God gives all Christians purpose. We all have a role and a function to play in the body of Christ. The diversity that God places in the church demonstrates how we all have a responsibility towards one another. And the second motivation was that God gives Christians one another. We all need one another. We cannot exist independent of one another. And God reminds us that though we may be diverse, there is no division in the body. And, and we all ought to have, as a result, a, the same care for one another. May the Holy Spirit work in our hearts to help us consider how we might continue to grow in our care for one another, even when it's hard.